I want to look at everything. I want to meet the teachers. It's really one of the only opportunities that you get past the front desk. You know, they don't so much let parents walk around the building anymore. But when you show up for open house or orientation day, take advantage of that. Go look at everything. Hello, Joyful Warriors. Tiffany Justice here with Moms for Liberty. Welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. We're going to be talking to a joyful warrior of our own, one of our chapter chairs, uh, Brooke Weiss from Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, County, uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. Uh, the county is Mecklenburg County. Is that correct, Brooke, in North Carolina? Right. Okay. And the main, the main city here is Charlotte. Okay. Wonderful. And so Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, you're a mom. Um, you have three beautiful daughters, right? Um, and uh, you have a few chickens that we'll talk about too at some point. <laughs> but you were the 12th chapter chair for Moms for Liberty. I think it was March of 2021. So um, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. So let's talk about how you first came to Moms for Liberty and what made you start a chapter. So in February of 2021, we were in the lockdowns and the kids were doing virtual learning. And my daughter, Sarah Helen at the time, came to me one afternoon with her computer and she showed me the screen and asked me, mom, are you okay with this? She was in the middle of a, an English assessment and I looked at the question that was being posed and it was a Holocaust minimizing question comparing slavery to the Holocaust. And the quote unquote correct answer was that slavery was worse because it happened over a longer period of time. And as a Jewish woman, I was appalled that two tragedies like that were compared to each other because it's just not appropriate. And the only thing that I could figure was why would two groups of people, minority groups of people being be pitted against each other. So I wanted to see the rest of the assessment. And I was not I was having tremendous difficulty and became acutely aware of the lack of transparency. Then I heard Tina Deskovich on uh, an interview with Glenn Beck. And I thought maybe this lady can help me. And so you called and 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 started uh, uh, one of the first chapters that we had in North Carolina. And now, fast forward, we're 2023. School's about to start again, um, and uh, you have a thriving chapter of Moms for Liberty. We have a number of chapters across North Carolina, and you guys, I know, have come together to do some legislative work as well. So let's just talk about your chapter for a minute. Um, tell us about what it has been like to grow your chapter over the past two years. It's, it's, it's been a tough time. Uh, this is a, this is a hard, difficult area, but it's all about consistency and showing up and our chapter, it started off really slow. Then we got really a lot of interest because the first thing we were working on was just getting schools open. And then once they were open, the mask mandate lifted, and then we kind of dug into curriculum and other issues. So, there's a lot of interest, but there's also a lot of fear here. 
So it's interesting because a lot of people, when you read our articles about Moms for Liberty, I mean, since you're like OG, you know from the beginning that we really are grassroots. You know Tina and me and, and our families, right? And so you know, so we read all this stuff about us and we're like, it's so ridiculous what people write. Like even just to say we're not real grassroots, which is such a joke because I think we're the epitome of what grassroots is, right? And so to fact- We're moms. Yeah, we're moms. We're moms. I never could have imagined myself in this position yeah, I, like most people, I had never been to any kind of meeting whatsoever. So it's been a real learning. Uh, it's been a journey. Had you, been, journey. had you been involved in politics at all before? Because I know now, you know, we don't really have a choice but to be involved in politics. Um, but I'm just curious. No. Okay. No, because my husband's a retired police officer and he was way up in the uh, command in New Orleans, we had to remain apolitical. We were never, we couldn't even have like a sign in our yard. So, so no, but he retired in 2014. Uh, but even then, until we moved here, it was during the, the COVID lockdowns. I was typical, like people voted from top down. I didn't pay attention to local politics, but now I pay more attention to local politics than anything else. No, I think that's so awesome. And so there was exciting news out of North Carolina recently where you have a supermajority now um, and, and your legislature was able to override three vetoes um, that your governor um, had vetoed these, these bills that had been passed and he refused to sign them into law. And so can you tell us a little bit um, about um, your governor, uh, about these laws and, and why it was so important that now they have been signed into law. So Governor Cooper is a Democrat. We have a Republican supermajority now. Um, we were one of the last, you know, uh, school states to open schools. Um, you know, he's just, it, it's obvious that he's not representing the people he kind of does what he wants. Things go through the legislature and get passed. He's pat. He has vetoed more legislation than every previous governor combined. Wow. So even on the day, those were three bills that we had lobbied mm -hmm. really strongly for. But I mean, they overturned more vetoes that day. So let's talk about the bills. First up, a parent's bill of rights. Uh, you finally have a parent's bill of rights in North Carolina, um, but it's been a bit of a journey, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, And it's one step at a time. The parent's bill of rights isn't as strong as, as we want it, but we are. it was a celebratory week. We gathered together in Raleigh. We have 19 chapters now. We just added a chapter uh, this week, so that's exciting. At the time, we had 18 chapters. We gathered in Raleigh, and we were there to witness the override. It was really exciting. Very so exciting. tell us a little bit about 18 chapters uh, at Moms for Liberty. Uh, when we have enough chapters in a state and the chapters want to, they come together in what's called the legislative committee. And so what has that experience been like? Because our mission statement, unify, educate, empower parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. So obviously, yes, right there in your own backyard, dealing with your school district. And we're going to talk about um, some uh, about Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and the school board and the relationships you've built. But here you are, all of these chapters coming together um, and, and working at the state level. What has that experience been like for you? It's so exciting because North Carolina is a battleground state. It's a purple state. Uh, the urban areas tend to be really blue. Uh, and then the, the areas outside of really um, Wake County, and Buncombe County, 
which is Asheville. Wake is Raleigh-Durham area, and then Charlotte. Um, outside of those areas is very red. So to come together on Legislative Day in spring was the first time that we did that was so exciting because in areas like, like mine, we don't get a whole lot of wins. But now that we have a supermajority working at the state level is is so so exciting. And we've made some great partners in the legislature that are really excited about our agenda and very happy to work with us. So it's been really exciting. So Brooke, has it been surprising to you that these issues like parental rights have become so partisan in so many cities and places across this country? Yes, it's it's surprising, but when you're able to put politics aside and concentrate on education, it's not nearly as divisive as um, the extremes on both sides, the Republicans and the Democrats want us to believe. I've had tremendous success in building relationships, and when you're able to sit down with people, if you narrow the conversation to education, who doesn't want children to succeed? So it's not really that hard when people have the courage to sit down and talk to find common ground. I think you are absolutely right. And I think one of the things I've been the most impressed about is your ability to build relationships in Charlotte. I know you've brought a lot of different people together. Can you tell us um, some tips and hints for moms maybe that are are just starting a chapter or looking to grow their chapter? Um, How have you been able to bring so many different stakeholders together? I know you've done work with the NAACP and others. You have to take emotion out of it. Uh, I try to attend meetings. I don't, just because of the image that's painted about Moms for Liberty, you know, people get scared of that. I don't show up to these things wearing, you know, wearing a shirt like this. Um, It's important to listen. You have to listen to people and their concerns and start off slow. Uh, look for common ground to build relationships. And it, like I said, it's not hard. It's not hard to find. I think the important part is that it takes time. We started in March of 2021. It's like two and a half years later. And it, it takes time when you focus on the children and you leave everything out of it politically charged. You know, we don't talk about abortion. We don't talk about the border. We don't talk about Ukraine. We just talk about the children, really, literacy rates. Once, once you focus on on the kids, it's not. It isn't very hard. Um, you have to leave politics out of it. And and I think that is what we're seeing. I know that's what we're seeing across the country. I mean, we're watching in Montgomery County, Maryland, and other places. Lots of different people coming together um, across racial lines, across religious lines, across political lines, and saying you know, we have much more in common here. And, and at Moms for Liberty, we see that all the time. Our membership, you know, I, I know that in the, the news we get painted as um, like alt-right or, you know, but uh, truly most of the moms that I talk to um, and, and that are members of chapters or even chapter leaders have never been really that political in their lives. No. And I, I know we're going to talk about it, but I, I had the experience yesterday. I met with the principal of my school and she said, when I told parents that I was meeting with the Weisses, uh, they were scared. They were like, oh, and she tells people all the time because we've spent years building a relationship. I don't know why you guys are so afraid of her. I've never had a conversation with her where Brooke was unreasonable or rude. So you I have second to get that. <laughs> I second that. I've been always been impressed with how you've dealt with different issues. You, you know, 
within your chapter and in, in concerns that you may have, you know, about other things happening across the country. I've always been very impressed with how you engage, which is really with the goal of finding solutions together. Sometimes you find that it's impossible. And so I don't spend time on that. You know, some people, their minds are made. But, you know, when you talk to people, you know the people that you're going to be able to kind of zone in on and, and build a relationship. Awesome. Some people you can't do that with. And, I, you know, I just don't bother with those people. Yeah, no, I And I think that's probably true. And But but I think the majority of people are willing to have conversations. And so one bright spot that I know you had recently, you have this Parents' Bill of Rights that gets passed uh, in the legislature. The governor vetoes it, but then the legislature overrides his veto. And now you have a Parents' Bill of Rights. And you told me recently recently that Charlotte Mecklenburg schools within, I think, three days um, had a resolution where they were actually implementing um, the Parents' Bill of Rights into the work they're doing in the district. Tell us a little bit about that. So the Parents' Bill of Rights was passed on a Wednesday, and Charlotte Mecklenburg schools did a fantastic job over the summer in anticipation of passage of that legislation. So the Friday, two days after the bill passed, they had a policy committee meeting and I was there and it was just evident that they had done so much work to prepare. And so you have to give props when they're due. You can't just always show up complaining and that's part of building relationships too. So I I did that. I showed gratitude for the work that they had done. And they're the only district in North Carolina that did that. So they're leading the way and setting the example. That the policy committee meeting happened on Friday, which is not the full board, but then they passed passed that and it came out of committee and in front of the whole board on Tuesday. And so the timing was crazy because school started less than a week after that, but they passed the policies on, on Tuesday and then school started on Monday. And like I said, they're, they're leading the way for the rest of the state. And I was really impressed. I didn't know that they had done that. It happened so fast uh, and other districts are having to kind of play catch up. That's so. Tell me a little bit about how the procedures and policies in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools will be altered or changed by a parents' bill of rights that they're now following. So, really, the main change: Charlotte Mecklenburg had a gender support plan that definitely left the parents out of the equation. So they were socially transitioning children without parents' knowledge and consent. That's, to me, that's the biggest change. And then- So that stops now. Parents will be notified. No more private conversations with children without parents involved. No. Good. I I mean, that's the policy. That's the law. But there was a teacher that showed up at the meeting on Tuesday and said he doesn't care what the law is. He was on record as saying he doesn't care. Um, That's that. And that's how Moms for Liberty's role is is switching. Now we're going to hold them accountable. But other things that changed, they're not allowed to talk about any um, gender ideology or anything sexual with K through four. So we know in the libraries, there are books like Julian is a Mermaid and I Am Jazz, those books all have to come out. And so what CMS did preemptively, school started this past Monday, so three, four days ago. Kids can't check out books until September 11th. That's the earliest they'll be able to check out books. And they're going through the libraries and and reviewing what's in there. They have to take everything in the elementary schools, uh, books like that out because the K through four cannot, they 
they can't be exposed to that. That was similar to what we so, did in Florida with the, the HB 1557 that said no gender identity instruction, no sexual orientation instruction happening right. in, in grades K through three. And thank goodness for that. The least interesting thing about a child should be their sexual orientation. Right? I, I just don't understand for the life of me why. People. Ugh. People. People Why in general, people in general, but you know, if adults want to center their whole lives around their sexual orientation, that's their business. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that's the biggest part of who I am as a person, but you know, I, but, but listen, adults can do what they want, but when we're talking about kids, I mean, that's get them right. involved in music and art and sports. There that's are right. so many different things like space expo. I mean, so many beautiful things it's we can talk about. It's just so confusing. Yeah. It's so confusing for kids. We need to let kids be kids. We do. One of the other things that changed is schools have to provide a space within the school for parents to come in and review curriculum. And that's kind of what I did yesterday. That's different before everything was online. Um, and there were a couple of board members that said the bill wasn't necessary because they already do that. But I um, don't like to think of myself as really dumb. I will fully admit I'm not an expert when it comes to technology, but I was never able to figure out how to access my kids' curriculum. And I just don't believe that it's really there. There's a difference between the state standards and lesson plans. Mm -hmm. Like I actually wanted to see the curriculum. So that's really positive for people that, for parents that, you know, that want to see it. There was a time when work came home and there were textbooks, but there's no uniform curriculum anymore. So I am interested in that. I want to see the questions. I want to see the work. And now, now parents online, but also have the opportunity to go into the schools and, and see it. That's awesome. And I know one of those the, are the main I know one of the things that you've really um, said to a lot of our moms, you've been a leader um, amongst moms for Liberty Moms um, as a, you know, one of our first chapter chairs and as a mom who has kids who are getting older, right, and graduating from high school. And we have, you know, I think a lot of moms who have younger children who are, you know, looking to a lot of us as, as you know, mentors, how do I engage with school? And so we've talked about the importance of building relationships um, and having that open dialogue with your children. Um, I know one of the things that you always, always say is you need to show up. You need to go to the school. You need to visit the school. So tell us, you recently went to open house at your daughter's school. Um, what is it like when you go for open house? What are you looking at? And, and what was your experience like? I want to look at everything. I want to meet the teachers. It's really one of the only opportunities that you get past the front desk. You know, they don't so much let parents walk around the building anymore. But when you show up for open house or orientation day, take advantage of that. Go look at everything. Go meet the teachers, walk into the classroom, see what's all over the walls. I walk through the hallways. I take pictures and I'm not shy about it. I go into the library. I go into the bathrooms. I go into the bathrooms. I send a mail into the mail bathrooms. Uh, you have a right to look at everything and to see everything. And so that that's what I do. I take pictures because, um, like, I take pictures of the library shelves. I go and take pictures of pretty much every teacher has a little private library shelf for kids that finish early to keep them busy. I take pictures and sometimes that's intimidating for the teachers, but I just explain to them, I just want to look at the books. I don't have time to do it right now. I want to check it out when I get home. I'm an involved parent. I spend one minute kind of introducing myself and introducing Eve. 
I know they know who I am. So I say, I know there's a lot of misconception out there about Moms for Liberty. I am not, I am not here. I don't want to intimidate you. I want to build a relationship with you. Don't be afraid of me. I will be asking you questions, but um, you know, the goal is not to get you fired or get you in trouble. But that's what the union is telling the the mom, the, the teachers. The yeah. union has. I've watched in Florida as the union has just spread lie after lie after lie, fomenting division, uh, fomenting For fear. Sure. In the teachers, right? In the, I think in the national media as well, the unions are very upset about Moms for Liberty and moms like you and me asking questions and getting involved. Why do you think that is? They've been successful in, you know, in fomenting that, that feeling. And so I went in, day two, my daughter came home. I had a question uh, because I've spent years building a relationship with a principal. I just go straight to her. I said, I need to come in. I want to nip this in the bud and talk to you. And when she told the teacher, you know, I'm meeting with the Weisses tomorrow, she was terrified, uh, thinking that I was going to go in there and demand her termination or a class change for, for my daughter. And the principal said, I don't know why you guys are so afraid of Brooke. You know, uh, she just has questions and wants them addressed. And that that is a hump that we have difficulty getting over. And that's the importance of building relationships. Yeah. And I think the only way that we continue to really show who we are as individuals is continuing to engage. Um, but it isn't, it, 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 it put a target on the backs of all of our moms, the SPLC, right? Naming Moms for Liberty a hate group. My daughter called me um, and, and she was looking at the website. I had notified her. I said, you know, I just want to make you aware of this happened in case any of your friends say anything, right? And she was like, mom, they have you next to like the KKK and the skinheads. (laughs) Like, why is that? Like, it's just so ridiculous, right? And so how do you think that affects moms across the country when there's a target put on their backs like that? And and what advice do you have for people that um, maybe are thinking- It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. Every parent should feel comfortable doing what I did yesterday, comfortable and confident going in there that their concerns can be addressed without fear that you're going to be a target or that your child is going to be a target. But I know that is how parents feel because they contact me all of the time and they are not willing or able or they're frightened to step up themselves uh, to, to address issues. Look at that policy meeting on Tuesday, it was a four hour hate fest and I was the target. It was unbelievable. Um, so other parents seeing that and witnessing that, that that's scary for them. They don't want to come forward. No, they don't, but we need to now you and I have discussed this. What, what, What keeps you up at night, Brooke? I mean, we work really hard at Moms for Liberty. And I think for me, the advocacy work that we do and being involved helps me to feel more hopeful for the future. But when you think about the future for your children in America, um, what kinds of things are you concerned about? I don't want people to be afraid. That's why I kind of came forward with this story because yesterday was such a great day and I want it to be an example for parents that if you take the emotion out of it and you just voice your concerns, most of us are reasonable human beings. So you have to get past the notion, turn the TV off, get off of social media, just get back to being a human being and talking to each other. That's what worries me. I mean, the the divisive nature of what's going on um, 
I don't think the advances in technology, social media and stuff have helped us. And that's my fear. I think that uh, we're in the middle of a cultural revolution right now. And I think like in the 1930s, they were coming out of the Great Depression. They were facing a world war. None None of them could imagine what the 1950s would be like. And that's where we are right now. Technology is moving so fast. Uh, we're so divided as a nation. They were back then, too. That's what worries me, because we don't really know what the outcome is. But we have a tremendous opportunity right now to go from the 1930s to the 1950s, which was the most prosperous uh, prosperous time in, in American history. And we have that opportunity right now. We're going through kind of a uh, another revolution, not just cultural, but a technological revolution. And I think the scary part is we don't know what it's going to look like. I don't. I do what I do, not so much for my kids, because my kids are older. Two of them have already graduated, and my last one is a junior this year. I do what I do for grandchildren that I don't even have yet. Uh, I want to leave a, a better place. I, I want to, not just a better place, but I long for the 1980s, simpler times. Um, what keeps me up at night is the mental health crisis that our kids are going through. I want kids to be able to be kids again. That's what keeps me up at night. We're, put, we're putting way too much on our kids right now. Uh, and and not teaching children how to read. So when I look at the, the mental health crisis that we have with kids in school and in, in life, and then you look at the illiteracy that we're seeing, right? The fact that kids are not learning to read in school. I continue to think about in my own life, how hard would it be if I couldn't read? What would I, how would I be able to do my job, live my life, be able to function? And, and how frustrating it must be for children who are going into school every day being asked to do things that they can't do because they can't read. If they don't learn to read by third grade, then they're supposed to read to learn and they're not able to do that. And I would imagine the shame and the trauma from not learning how to read is affecting these children's mental health. So can you give us just a little bit of a, a snapshot of what, uh, how the learning and teaching is going in Charlotte's uh, Mecklenburg schools? Sure. I heard from a teacher over the summer that during one of the end of course tests, some kids were very upset, very upset because they are supposed to be able to produce a paragraph in cursive. And I think any parent today will acknowledge their kids can't write in cursive. They can't read cursive. And so I started thinking about that and doing some research. And it's actually North Carolina state statute that cursive is taught in third, fourth, and fifth grade. And I started researching it. Cursive is really important. It's different than keyboarding because it engages both sides of the brain. And it's also really important for kids with um, dysgraphia or dyslexia. And I have two kids with dyslexia. So I started emailing the board members and the principal. I thought it was going to take a really long time, but it didn't at all. That was another really positive outcome not a big proponent of the keyboards, you know, the computers. We know now they've been around long enough. Reading scores have not gone up. They've gone down. But like you said, equity is talked about a lot. Um, the 
best way to lift people out of poverty is literacy. Literacy is equity. So we need to forget about all this other extra stuff and get back to the basics and teaching kids to learn how to read. I don't really care how old they are. I mean, here in Charlotte, we know that um, 9% of the fourth graders read at a proficient level. So now they're talking a whole lot about early education, K through three, but we can't give up on the four through 12th graders. I really don't care what grade a kid is in. It's never too late. And we know that because there are prison programs that teach people how to read. There are prisoners that learn how to read and end up, you know, getting degrees in college. So if you have a ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grader that can't read at a, they're reading at like a second or a sixth grade level, that's what we need to focus on. We can't keep lowering the graduation standards and let people graduate that can't read. Because like you said, how are they ever going to function? And if a child can't read by third and fourth grade, third grade is a bench benchmark year, then they're going to, statistics say they're going to be functionally illiterate the rest of their life. Kids learn to read K through third grade, and then they read to learn fourth grade on. So if they can't read, how can they learn? No. And your husband was a, a, a police officer, um, as you said, yeah. and um, I, I continue to just, what keeps me up at night, I, 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 how will people, how will people support themselves if they can't read, if they can't write, if they can't do math, and, and we look at crime as is escalating across the United States right now, I think we're only going to see increased crime. Um, and I worry about, you know, who are going to be the doctors? Who are going to be the police officers? Who are going to be the lawyers? Who are going to be the scientists? Who are going to, um, wh what what possible future is there for the for a child in their life if they can't read? You're condemning them to a life of struggle, and it's criminal, in my opinion. Nine percent of That's kids. That's where the conversation begins, Tiffany. That's how you build relationships. You start talking about that because it's undeniable. I don't care what a person's political background is. I don't care what their skin color is, their religion, their, their socioeconomic status. It's undeniable. And I challenge people all the time, um, approach your average teenager in the grocery store and ask them what's eight times seven. Mm. Okay. They can't tell you like that. They can't tell you. They spend a little, little bit of time trying to figure it out. And then when they give you an answer, more than half the time it's wrong. So parents know. They know education is totally different than when we went to school. And that's where the conversation begins. That's how you start to build relationships. You ask them, how do we fix this? Because there's no parent, there's no adult that doesn't want to help kids learn how to read, how to do basic arithmetic. And that's when you have the opportunity to talk to people, that's where the conversation needs to start. And that's how I do it. I say, are you... People come up to me and they're like, oh, mom's really reading their book manners. And so I address that briefly. But then I say, let's talk about what's important. Do you know that 9% of CMS third graders read at a proficient level? And most of them don't know that. And that sparks a whole new conversation. Yeah, I agree. Most adults uh, are very concerned about this issue. I don't think union leaders are that concerned about the issue, though. <laughs> it feels like they are more interested in children being politically literate and becoming future voters for them uh, and, and future members than they are uh, making sure that children have the ability to be discerning and to learn and to grow as human beings who are free thinkers. So um, I, I'll, I'll, I, there's a caveat there. I'll say most adults, but not all of the adults. And Randy, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm talking about you. 
Um, so um, the last thing I want to close on is I know you have moved your family a bit. You guys were in New Orleans, and then I know you were in Texas, and now you're in North Carolina, and you have uh, chickens. And I want to talk about the chickens because I think most moms who are members of, of, of chapter chairs at Moms for Liberty know you have chickens We've and, and because you love your chickens. And so just for any mom out there that's listening, it's like, gosh, you know, I think I might want to get some chickens. What is it like having chickens? Any helpful hints or tips? Uh, because I know that there are going to be a lot of people that are interested. You know what? It's why we're not doing the interview outside because I kind of have this jerk rooster right now and he would be in my face crowing the whole time. Chickens are easy. Are they? They're really fun pets. And I think people don't know that. They're trainable. If you raise them from chicks, they're they're really smart and they're they're fun and they're friendly. Um, and they, you know, they give you breakfast every morning. So uh, you, you just have to pay attention to where you live. I'm fortunate, even though I live within city limits, my HOA is not against it and my neighbors are cool with it. I share eggs with them. So, uh, <laughs> they're, they're fun. I, uh, for, if you guys want a black copper marin rooster, I have one up for grabs <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's good to know. Okay, mom. So if you're looking for a rooster, apparently there's a very noisy one that Brooke has who she is willing to uh, give to a nice home. Um, on that he's note- He's for freezer camp. If I can't find a new home for him, he's headed for freezer camp. Oh my goodness. That poor rooster. Um, Brooke, as always, it is a delight to talk to you. I am thankful for you. Uh, you are an incredible leader. Uh, you are a wonderful friend. Um, and I'm honored to be able to work with you uh, at Moms for Liberty. So thank you for everything yes. that you do. Any last <laughs> words for moms as they're sending their kids back to school for this year? Any helpful hints or tips? Get involved. Get involved. And if you missed open house or orientation day, send an email. Introduce yourself. Uh, tell them a couple of things about your kids. But be firm and stand your ground. You know, if you don't want your kids participating in surveys, then say that. You have the right to do that. You have the right to ask questions. You have the right to say, I want to see what my kid's up to every day. And just explain it, you know. Papers don't come home anymore. There's no textbook to look at. And when I ask my kid, hey, what did you do today? They're like, oh, nothing. <laughs> and, you know, I want to know. I want to know what my kid's doing. Yeah. So on that note, know what your kids are doing. Ask questions. Do it in a joyful warrior fashion. Uh, uh, we'll end with we're going to fight like hell with a smile on our face because we know that our kids are watching. And it is a privilege uh, to be an American and to fight for America. So Brooke Weiss. Uh, much love to you and your husband and your children, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today.